Good Monday, everybody. How are you? I am Jeremy Birmingham. That is Bill Landis. Monday on the podcast daily for uh, November 14th means we are once again rehashing what we watched on Saturday as Ohio State knocked off Indiana 56 to 14. It was a game that was probably not that close. Uh, when you watched it the first time, it didn't really feel like Indiana had any business being in the game. And as you, as I rewatched it anyway, Bill, it didn't really look like they had any business being in it the second time either. Um, they had essentially a trick play for 40 yards in the second half and uh, a a chunk play with would they put in a new quarterback and Ohio State was a little bit slow to adjust to the addition uh, of the quarterback with some with some running ability and the, they didn't really seem to match you know personnel again I guess maybe that's something to think about as we go down the road because it seems like Ohio State feels pretty stuck like they're like this is the drive we're putting in these players so we're just going to play them um and then they then they run those guys out there what was interesting about the first touchdown drive for ohio state uh that the ohio state allowed was that after indiana had that 40 yard play action pass down to the seven yard line or whatever the buckeyes did put their starters back in uh in an f in an attempt i think to say okay we're not playing this game uh and then indiana just you know threw a, a jump ball to moss cameron brown in the corner of the end zone which nothing he could do about that but now I'm rambling. So for you, <laughs> as you got a chance to rewatch, what was the first thing that really stood out to you? Josh Fryer. Yeah. <laughs> he he, uh, he had a really good game starting at right tackle for for Dewan Jones. Um, felt good about it coming out of the game, mostly because I didn't like notice him during the game. But but then you get a chance to watch him a little closer. Um, you know, taking a look at the TV broadcast and. Didn't allow. I I don't recall him allowing any pressures. Um, had some really good stuff in the run game. I thought too, like from from the from the jump, that thirty two yard run from Mayan Williams early in the game. Like it was, Josh Fryer did a tremendous job of kind of climbing up to the second level and, and sealing off a linebacker to help spring that run. And he, he just looked really comfortable. So um, I don't know what to make of that going forward because. I think we all thought if Josh was going to get on the field, like maybe potentially it would be at guard with some of the struggles they've had there. Uh, instead, it was at right tackle. And, and it sounds like Dewan Jones will probably be back next week based off what Ryan Day said. So I don't know if that's a thing we'll see in the future. But um, even if it was just a glimpse of what Josh Fryer could be when he's this team starting right tackle next year, I thought it looked really good. Yeah, I think that's probably the most important takeaway with Josh is that – and he he was on my notes. It just said Josh Fryer played really well. Like he he really did – look like a guy that had been out there for a lot of snaps this year. And really what he's done the majority of the time is be in there as a sixth offensive lineman or, or play on, on field goal and, and extra points. So, um, you know, he, he was talked about a lot in the spring as a guy that the Buckeyes believed was going to push for playing time and be a guy that could be one of the best five offensive linemen on the, on the team. Um, he had the ACL injury that, that cost him from there to basically August. And now you start to see him, feeling himself and uh, I thought he played really well and we mentioned it on snap judgments on Saturday the running game seemed to to be pretty good especially on the right side of the line where there had been some questions in the last two weeks and I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to start a drama here or anything but Dewan Jones clearly has been had some sort of lingering issue uh, which is why he sat Saturday out and and Matthew Jones continues to deal with his foot issue so you see a situation against the Hoosiers where we've been saying for a few weeks, like, why not just let these other guys play and get some rest that may be well needed? Uh, and now I think, you know, maybe it's a coincidence that uh, the offense looked as good as it's looked <laughs> since uh, the break, since the since the off week um, when they finally took that opportunity. Yeah, when, when, as I thought about things that could um, help the run game and, you know, potential shakeup on the offensive line, I, I, I can't say I ever thought about, Dewan Jones being an issue, and, and, I, and I don't think he is. I, I fully expect him to get that job back once he's once he's healthy enough to do so. Um, but it was good to see the depth kind of shine there, and also too, like Matthew Jones, that was probably his best game of the year. Um, I don't I don't put a ton of stock in like Pro Football Focus grades, but we don't really have a ton to like base offensive lineman success also off of unless you're just kind of watching it and think like, oh, I thought that guy played good. So. Uh, but if you look at the PFF grades, like Matthew Jones was their best graded offensive lineman. Josh Fryer was second. Um, so it was a really good day for the for the right side of that line. Um, and, and Matthew Jones in particular, I felt like had a, had a nice 
bounce back. Um, and the run game in general looked really good. I, like the the short yardage stuff, maybe we can talk about that. Is is one thing, and, and that's that's still not working. But everything else, I thought, looked pretty good. And 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 they also too seem to do a little bit more of of running kind of in interior running plays than more so than maybe those outside hitting plays that have been issues for them at times. So I thought that was encouraging. Yeah, and I think what was actually surprising me watching this game is that what I'm noticing, or what I, maybe I'm alone in noticing this, is that early in the season we were very quick to heap praise on the wide receivers for their blocking and and Cade Stover for his. But I I feel like right now some of the issues in the run game on the outside are that receivers and Cade Stover are not sealing things off the way that they were early mm-hmm. in the season. Um, there was a play in, in this game here where – uh, let me see if I can find it in my notes. It was on the um, third and one play where CJ Stroud ran a little um, read option in the second quarter uh, and or the third quarter. I'm sorry. First drive of the third quarter for Ohio State and Stover just did not hold his guy. And then that forced, you know, CJ to to keep it. And Indiana had the safety crashing down, ready to to clean up in that spot. And it was a couple different times in the game where I saw Julian Fleming not be able to get in front of Mullen, number three for Indiana, who played a really good game and, and keep him from getting to the point of attack and, and and stop some plays from developing. But I think what we saw with Mayan Williams and Dallin Hayden especially was instincts that are really designed for running between the tackles. And, uh, you know, we talk so much about Marvin Harrison and his NFL roots and, and all that stuff. And obviously he might be the best player in the country, but let's not forget that Dallin Hayden has NFL bloodlines. His father was an mm-hmm. NFL running back and he clearly knows what he's doing with the football and, and really was impressive uh, when forced into a lot of action. Yeah. He seems pretty smart um, for, for a true freshman, like an, an instinctive, uh, and I felt that in the earlier season action that he got, I, I, I can't recall all the games that he's played in so far, but he's not had a ton of like high leverage moments. But when he's been on the field, it's like, oh, that, that was a nice cut there. That was a nice cut there. So it, it wasn't surprising to to see that. I guess it was good to see him get, was it 19 carries um, and kind of lead the way there for a little bit after Mayan Williams went down. Um, and he's in a really interesting position now because I don't know what their running back position is going to be next week or even even for the Michigan game. But um, I, I also sense a little bit, like just kind of like reading through the board on, on OhioStateThatRivals.com and some of the comments um, on the snap judgments after the game. I think there is some growing confidence in a guy like Dallin Hayden because he showed himself, I think, capable of of handling that workload. Ryan Day always mentions like ball security with him, yeah. Which I guess is, I don't know, is is that his part for of the course? He, part for the course with a freshman, but I, yeah. To, to get to your point, I think yeah, they like he clearly maybe struggles with that sometimes in practice and. That was the reason why Ohio State didn't play down Hayden and chip train him at Northwestern. So it is something you just got to keep working on. But like the instincts seem pretty good. And once he adds a little bit of weight uh, and gets more to what you'd expect an Ohio State running back to be um, physically, I mean, it, it, it's been a surprise for me to see him. He was sort of a, overlooked in the recruiting process and not a guy that a lot of folks really had a lot of uh, expectation for. But Ohio State chose him over Nick Singleton, the Penn State freshman running back, and I think they, you know, they did that for a reason. So um, you you get to see little glimpses of that, and I, I think we'll see more of that. He has got two two he's got two hundred yard rushing games as a freshman for a kid that I don't think anyone thought was going to play any real snaps this year. So kudos to yeah. him for for stepping up. I mean, some of that is obviously forced because of injuries, but ku- mm-hmm. again, kudos to Dallin for just making the most of it. Yeah, he's got quick feet in the hole. It kind of actually reminds me of Mayan Williams a little bit. I think I think we always talk about Mayan Williams like being a bruiser. I actually think his best attribute is how quick his feet are in the hole. And and Dallin Hayden seems to have a little bit of that too. Um, so if he needs to pick up the slack here, at, at least even if it's just for one week at Maryland, I think he's capable of doing that. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the Mayan situation, to be honest. Uh, it, the injury, like seeing it on the field, it didn't look like something that was going to be bad. Uh, like I've, guys get rolled over all the time and very rarely do they react that way. So then your immediate thought is, oh, crap, that's not great uh, on TV. They were very reluctant to show much of it. But even the replays they did show, it wasn't really gratuitous or like, oh, no. Uh, he was back on the field in the second half and crutches with the boot. 
And then he did what same thing he did after the Penn State game about an hour and a half after the game tweeted, we're good. So, like, I mean, I, I think it's probably wise to not expect him to play at Maryland just because he shouldn't have to. Um, but especially if Chip Trames back, but I, I think just judging by his responses, he seems ready to to keep fighting through it. So Yeah, his response and Ryan Day's responses were were probably what you want to hear coming out of that. I, I don't know, like a, I, I don't want to be amateur doctor and try to diagnose him. It looked to me like maybe it could be a high ankle sprain. Um and and those are rough to come back from. But he's a tough kid too. Like I I thought after the Penn State game, we were going to see him for a couple of weeks, and he played the next week and carried the ball almost yeah. thirty times and an eighty mile an hour win. So, um, if he's on the field next week, I was I won't be surprised. But I also don't really think there's a need to put him out there against Maryland. What I'm learning is that the Ohio State medical staff is really quick to put Mayan Williams in braces because he was in a full on <laughs> arm cast at Penn State, and I was like, oh my gosh, he just broke his forearm, and he and it's like, nope, he had a little pinky issue. <laughs> like I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> It's very bizarre. Speaking of broken hands or something on the hands, Tommy Eichenberg, we noticed, we all noticed it when he walked into Ohio Stadium on Saturday that his uh, left hand is in a bit of a brace. It looked like, you know, from here around. So clearly some issue in, in these two fingers, his ring finger and his pinky. Um, I'm wondering if that is affecting him in the way that he's able to tackle you know what he did really great earlier this year was that like cut through the whole wrap and roll and and, and you know the roll tackle and i'm wondering mm. if he's not able to get a firm grip with both hands to to do that because this is the f- second time in the last couple of weeks we've seen him uh just get through and miss a guy he did it on the reverse on the first play of the second half for indiana a couple of the times you see him just not being as good with his hands he's he's so good that putting himself in the right spot and reading plays and diagnosing where they're going to be. He's doing that at an elite, elite level Uh, and obviously still getting his fair share of tackles. But I am wondering if that's affecting his ability to wrap up a little bit. Yeah, I guess I guess it could be. I I didn't consider that. But if it is odd that all of a sudden he's he's kind of slipping out of those tackles now when he wasn't doing that earlier in the year. Um, I think he only had credit for one missed tackle in that game. And I think the only game where he's had like a, a crazy high number was the Penn State game, um, the most egregious of which was on that that touchdown run that Penn State had late in that game. Um, I don't know. I, I I think you might be right and on to something. I, I don't know that I'm tremendously worried about that because I still think like Tommy played really well and his instincts are off the charts. So um, as long as he can continue to put himself in good positions to make those plays, I, I don't think I'm too worried about that. Yeah, I would just love for like one afternoon to sit in in the defensive meeting with Tommy Eichenberg and Jim Knowles because whatever they're seeing and whatever they're expecting, like they are so on point Mm -hmm. with it every single week because he is just an absolute like rocket ship from the, when he sees what he wants to to point of attack. And it's been, it has been truly fun to watch him play. And, And you see it over and over on Saturdays now where he is just knifing through the offensive line before anybody else on the field has an idea what's coming. Yeah. I don't, I don't recall, Ohio State doing a whole lot of this like run blitzing with its linebackers in previous iterations of the defense, but but it clearly suits Tommy really well. And and even it feels like Steel Chambers is kind of coming into his own with some of that too. And Steel's obviously got really good speed and, and explosion. That's probably his, his best attributes as a linebacker. So um yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Like I don't t- Tommy's play recognition is night and day better than it was a year ago. And and I don't know if, if it was outright bad last year or if maybe it's just hard to recognize what's happening when you're getting pummeled by a 320-pound guard like as soon as the ball snapped. Yeah. Um, so that probably has something to do with the two. Those guys are getting to play cleaner. But um, those two guys, yeah, they just they just continue to be the, a real strength for the defense. And but and Tommy has sort of done it all year. Steele had, what, 10 tackles in this game? Um, had an incredible open field tackle of Dexter Williams where he just like grabbed the shoulder and threw him down yeah. to the ground. Um, so it feels like Steele's making some strides too. Uh, brief recruiting update here I want to make sure we talk about. When you talk about Ohio State's recruiting efforts right now, at the linebacker in the class of 2023, they only have one commitment. That's from Arvell Reese, the, the linebacker from Cleveland. They're trying to bring in Arian Carter from Memphis, but the biggest and most important linebacker recruits for Ohio State are making sure Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers both come back and play for Ohio State <laughs> next year. So if you're looking for something to focus on, like what what makes next year's team like 
uh, not take any real step back on defense. It's making sure Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are, are back. So yeah, wouldn't wouldn't it be bad to have those two back and then also like CJ Hicks with his feet under him ready to roll too? You, yeah, because you're getting good ones there. You're getting Jack Sawyer and J- Jack's played probably his best game of the year on on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Looked, you know, sometimes I wonder if he's playing the wrong position. Uh, it's just, we've talked about that a few times this year. I don't know that he's as flexible as you want someone to be at that Jack position where they're really kind of needed to be fluid and moving through you know, space and, and getting through blocks. And I, I just think that Jack is better when he's lined up at a pure defensive end spot. And you saw that on Saturday with the, the two sacks that he had both times. He was just against the tackle and, and, and made, you know, quick work of the guy. Um, I just think that's probably where he needs to be. I am concerned that he continues to just push way too far up the field um, with his pressure. That was on the, again, the first play of the second half for Indiana, the reverse. You watch Tommy Eichenberg cut through and miss the tackle. And Jack Sawyer is about three yards beyond where the where the runner is going with the uh, football and, and unfortunately isn't able to stop him. And that led to the big gain. But uh, I thought it was a, an encouraging day for Jack, uh, considering that he's had a, a number of times in the last few weeks where he's been like on the quarterback and had him dead to rights and then just missed him. So uh, it was good to see that. He talked after the game um, Jack did about, I, I think, maybe at times being a little – overhyped when when he does because he he think about it he doesn't play a ton so like when he does get the opportunity to actually kind of pin his ears back and go after a passer or, or simply just line up a defensive end and sort of do what is like naturally his position i think sometimes maybe he he leans into that a little too much and does put himself in, in bad positions which is why i like like the, his second sack was was a called kind of stunt with teron vincent where he was sort of told to like be patient press it up press it wide but then cut it back inside um, and obviously like it worked like a charm. He was untouched for a sack, but I, I think maybe some of that stuff where it's more designed and less um, maybe like free flowing and playing off instinct can, can help him for now. Like it's not, I don't, I think it's a long-term thing, but while he's like playing on a somewhat limited workload and, and it kind of reminds me of like uh, the stuff we've talked about, like running backs in the past when they're getting f- yeah. fewer touches, they try to hit a home run every time. Maybe I think Jack does that sometimes, um, but when he can kind of be pointed in the right direction, uh, he's looked really good. Yeah, that stunt was cool. It was one of the the different blitzes that Jim Knowles had drawn up for this game. And I mean, one play I, I have just circled here is that the zero blitz that uh, Ohio State ran on the second down play, third down play at, at the end of second down play, sorry, and mm-hmm. Indiana's final drive of the first half where they were at like with the 18 yard line or something like that, trying to score. And, and if they score there, it's a, it's sort of a big moment for Indiana to, to make it 28, 14 before the half, you know, charge down the field to make some plays. And I just absolutely loved the timing of the zero blitz by Jim Knowles there. Like you lose nothing. If you're Ohio state, like it, you're not going to lose the game. If they score, if they beat you there on the 28, if they catch you sleeping and Knowing the situation, knowing the time, knowing the quarterback in the game, Jim Knowles said, screw it, we're, just, we're going at him. And, and that changed the entire outcome of, of that drive because he lost 12 yards on the play as Lathan and, and uh, Steel Chambers got a sack. And next play, Jack Sawyer gets his sack and pushes him completely out of any possibility of scoring. And I just thought it was a brilliant moment for Jim Knowles because the zero blitz is so risky to do. Mm. But like he was like, who cares? It doesn't matter if they score here. So let's just make sure they don't. Yeah, those are the things that I like. I appreciate that about Jim Knowles and, and like the way he he approaches things, because I think a lot of defenses probably would have just sat in coverage and and like tried to bend and not break and and maybe even not cared so much if they end up if they did end up breaking. But I, I like the idea of being aggressive there even if it doesn't work because of just sort of like what that instills in your defense moving forward. Like if you're going to be about it, be about it. And they talk about being aggressive all the time and, and setting the rules and playing offense on defense. And and that's a great example of it right there. It's relatively low stakes because of the, what the score was there. But yeah. um, I still, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like the general idea there of like, you're on your heels a little bit, let try to take it back from them. And, and, and especially against a young quarterback who's like, you know, he hasn't seen anything at the college level. He made his first, first appearance, Two weeks ago, this was like his first extended action. Um, yeah, get after him and, and make him see some stuff he's never seen before. And uh, Lathan Ransom had tremendous timing on that play. Had tremendous timing actually both times they blitzed all him. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, that was an excellent game for him. Maybe one of his better games, probably. Um, 
and not that he's had really poor ones, but um, yeah, I like that. I, I'm in favor of bringing those kind of pressures, especially from, from different positions and areas of the field. You know, I, I just thought from a defensive perspective, uh, other than a couple just, you know, anomalies, it was a, it was a really good game for Ohio state defensively. We haven't even talked about offense really yet other than the rushing game, but you know, if you think uh, I'd like your opinion uh, on on the the play action pass that was the forty yard one that led to the first touchdown, it looked to me like Ronnie Hickman was supposed to stay in the middle third and just left it, and you saw both corners, um, Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson, kind of like oh crap, we just got to haul butt to get back there to to make a tackle. Um, I don't know exactly where Ronnie was going. It looked like he was just decided to leave it. Um, and then on the second Indiana touchdown of the day, that looked like three Ohio State players just jumped a bubble screen almost and let the the uh, receiver because they had like trips, yeah, out out to the to the boundary, and then they were like, oh, and then everyone jumped into the bubble screen and no one covered the guy going straight to the end zone. So, and yeah. Cody Simon almost you know got back and ripped the ball out and he was there, but like not uh, not not ideal when you have you know uh, at that moment you have Paul Anoate on the field, Josh Proctor, um, Jordan uh, or J.K. Johnson out there, and Jair Brown on the other side. So it's like I just don't think anyone knew where they were really going there. Yeah, the second one it was I think it was Proctor and Steel Chambers are like pointing at each other right before the snap, and then the ball snaps, and they and they both just kind of ran to the same spot. So I I, I think J.K. Johnson probably did what he was supposed to do on that play, yeah. and the other two guys got 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 mixed up. Um, the first one, I think you're probably right. My my first glance at the first one was that that J.K. Johnson didn't do a good enough job like carrying that route all the way through the his like vertical zone. But then watching it again, um, it was actually kind of funny. So, like, Ohio State scored on, on the play-action pass to Marvin Harrison on the possession before that. And then Indiana came out and, like, ran the exact same thing. It's called, yeah. like, a it's a it's like a post-dig. It's a two-man route. And and Ronnie Hickman, I think, jumped the underneath shallow cross-dig route, and the post ran right behind him. So, I, I don't know exactly what the the rules are there. My my guess is that you're you're probably right that Ronnie needs to stay stay in the middle of the field, um, and it ended up that there was nobody in the middle of the field. And and Jordan Hancock I thought made a decent effort to try to get all the way to from the sideline to the far hash to make a play on the ball and couldn't quite get there in time. But um, I probably it is probably more fair to pin that on Ronnie than it is on J.K. Johnson. Although I thought J.K. was still like a little flat footed on that play and probably could have hung with that route better. Yeah, you know, we when we do step judgments, America, we're trying to, you know, view these things on the fly, what we saw immediately. So sometimes if, you know, we're a little harsh on J.K. Johnson, I was probably a little hard on him on Saturday night. I said pretty much it seems like touchdowns happen when he's <laughs> on the field. Uh, I'm not implying that he's directly responsible for all of them, but it seems like communication at some points when Ohio State doesn't have all of their their aces out there at the same time. Generally, that's when the communication breaks down. In the case of this first long play by Indiana, the the fifty yard pass play uh, to set up their first score, it they had all the aces on the field and they still messed up. So it happens. Get over it. The, yeah, <laughs> I, I will like we we probably were. I know there was like some comments on the snap judgments about like, like being too harsh on J.K. Johnson, and and that that very well may be true. But also, after that play happened, they took him out of the game. And like didn't put him back in until it was fifty or whatever it was forty nine to seven late in the game. So um, that to me says a little something too that like maybe as 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 they viewed it, he messed up there. Also, they're probably not going to take Ronnie Hickman off the field even if Ronnie did mess up. So yeah, um, I think like JK's had good moments and bad. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't think the kid's been, been bad every time he's out there. But it, but it does. I agree with you. It feels like when he is out there, teams go after him. Penn State went after him, um, and Indiana did it once or twice too. Yeah, I don't know if there's like a plus minus um, in in football terms. I know you know there is an obviously basketball and hockey and that kind of stuff, but I, I'd be curious to see what it is if there is one for him, just because it just feels strange. Um, yeah, they've all taken turn. Like like Cam Brown had a bad day at Michigan State, and yeah. Jordan Hancock I think maybe gave up a completion in this game too that he maybe could have covered better. So it's like he's not the only one who gets beaten, and that like that's life as a cornerback too. Like you're yeah. gonna get, you're not going to win every battle. Cam Brown, I thought, played pretty well, all things considered, for his first game, game back in a, in a while. 
two pass breakups. And not, it's not that they were pass breakups. They were pass breakups on balls that Ohio State corners have not broken up all year in that deep shot. They've, they've been losing a lot of those 50-50 balls. Um, defensively, I want to wrap up the, that side of the ball before we head over to the CJ Stroud in the offense. I, I just felt, again, and maybe I'm a broken record here, Bill, but it just my concern basically is always about what happens on a, on the game against Michigan. I don't think that J.J. McCarthy is good enough to beat Ohio State straight up just throwing the ball around the, the field. I think Michigan clearly understands that or believes that he is not ready to be that guy yet. But when it comes to the play-action game, when it comes to the read-option game, when it comes to misdirection stuff like that, that is a concern for me still. And I, I am at, even as good as the Buckeyes' defense played on Saturday against Indiana, I didn't. I don't feel any better about their ability to maintain their lanes and keep things in front of them. Uh, other than JT Tuomaloa, who there was a couple plays in the in the third quarter where JT really like did things that you just don't see defensive linemen do. There was one that it, it was a tight end screen that he had just sort of like. <laughs> saw it coming and was the only guy that stood in his spot and forced uh, Dexter Williams to throw the ball into the dirt because uh, Teron Vincent and Zach Harrison were in his face because J- JT didn't abandon his spot. And then two plays later, Ohio State blocks the punt, and the game then, for all intents and purposes, was more over than it actually was, but it was sort of like the game-ending series. And it was a play where I just think – if JT's not the guy out there right there, that maybe it doesn't play out that way because Indiana did a nice job setting up this tight end screen. They brought him the tight end from the other side of the field and was sort of slipping him through and, and everyone else bit on the screen. And JT was like, no, I'm just going to stand here. And it was just really, and he did the exact same thing. The previous <clears throat> drive when Indiana on the, uh, they tried to do the uh, reverse pa- pass back. And he was again, right where he needed to be. And then realized that the reverse ball carrier was pitching it back to the quarterback and took off straight at the quarterback and forced him to throw the ball away there. So just he just does a lot of things that are so smart that when you see it, yeah. I don't think he's really getting a, the full appreciation for it. Plus, he's getting held every stinking play. <laughs> he gets held a lot. I, I have to be honest. The last few weeks, I've thought to myself, like, why are we talking about JT getting held? And then, like, after this game, I was like, all right, I get it. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> it happens on like every play. Um, he is. I, I had a conversation with him. Um, I can't remember if it was last fall or last spring. Actually, like I, I never ended up like writing anything on it. And maybe I will moving forward. But I was talking with him like a, kind of about like his football background. And he told me that like he used to go to high school games with his grandfather. And then, like, the two of them, as when he was a kid, like they would like diagnose defenses and like talk about concepts. Like when he was a child. And not, and not just about like, hey, you're a defensive end. Here's how you beat a tackle. Like, here's how the offense is trying to attack this specific defense. So he's got a a football knowledge that I think is br- much broader than just the position that he plays. And it shows up all the time. I think, and it's showing up more and more. He's just such a patient player, uh, which I give him a lot of credit for because he is supremely talented enough that if he wanted to just chase sacks on every single snap, um, he could probably get away with it, but he doesn't do that. Um, and like his interception against Penn State was an example of that. The ball he batted down last week, where he like he didn't kind of bite on the screen action, like he recognized what was happening to him. He did it in this game. Um, just a really, really smart player. Like, and, and in addition to all his his physical talents, he is an incredibly intelligent football player. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, do you have any final thoughts on the defense? Or I just felt like it. I want to make sure we talk about how good JT Tuomaloa is because he just mm. really is special. Um, speaking of special, though, Marvin Harrison. Jr. That catch was crazy. That catch was I, insane. Uh, <laughs> I I put in here the sideline catch by Marvin Harrison Jr. was the best college football catch I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> and I really think it was. I mean, I was I was. So when that play happened, I was in the far end zone. The end zone Ohio State was driving toward right by the goalpost and CJ threw it. And because sometimes I get caught up in the moment, I just stop shooting. Cause I'm like, Oh, let's just see. I'm like, Oh, this, that ball's not catchable. <laughs> I'm like, and then the, he, and then he catches. I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter. Not in bounds. And then and it wasn't bounds. And then they show the replay. I'm like, how in the world 
did he force his body to do that? Because it's so completely counter to what your natural body is trying to do. Like he's falling down. His left leg is wanting to touch the ground first. And yeah. he, he stops it from hitting the ground first, stabs down his other leg while the rest of him is out of bounds. It, it's one of the wildest catches I've ever seen. And what's crazy about it to me, Bill, is that like early in the game, CJ threw a ball that was behind him as he's running mm. a, a seam a seam route and jumps and catches and does like a 360 while in the air catching the ball and that was easy that was like oh eh, whatever it's just i said this to austin on saturday night and i i don't know if i mean it entirely yet or if i'm trying to talk myself into it i think he should win the heisman trophy i think he's the best player in the country <clears throat> i I am coming around to the idea that he should be Ohio State's Heisman candidate. I think I, I'm almost fully on board with that. Um, I think we need to see the Michigan game and what CJ does in that game. And CJ's had a tremendous season, not to take anything away from him. Marvin is just like otherworldly good. It's it's pretty insane. Like his his body control is. I've I don't think I've seen anything quite like it. Um, especially for a guy who's who's kind of that big. Uh, you just don't see guys who are that big able to do stuff like that. So um, I think I'm just about there with you. Like <clears throat> one of my second half bowl predictions was that he'd win the Bolitnikoff, and I think maybe I aimed a little too low with that. <laughs> it's just it's it's truly remarkable what he's doing week in and week out. And I, I think about it from the perspective of he's doing this in in a world where he doesn't have Jackson Smith and Jigbo. Ohio State's running game has been hit or miss. There, everyone knows where it's going. 90% of the time right now, it's going to Marvin Harrison in the moments that matter the most. And yet he's still making catches that are just un, unheard of. And, you know, I, I don't know how long, like, I mean, I, I, I know we'll only see him for another year and, and maybe three games, four games, five games, whatever. But uh, just appreciate what you're seeing, folks, because it is truly unique to see a kid who works the way he does that has it pay off the way he does and the way that he just, it, it, it's so businesslike. Like think about anyone else in the country making that catch. How do you think that the reaction would have been on the sideline? Like what type of, <laughs> like what, what do you think they would have done? Marvin somehow contorts himself into this. I don't even know what the word is. And just, Gets up and goes right back to the huddle. Okay, no big deal. That's just what he does. Yeah, the crazy thing was like he he knew it, it right away. It wasn't it wasn't random. It was no. all purposeful, and he knew it yeah. right away. He was like, "All right, next play, <laughs> let's, let's go." And everyone everyone on the Indiana sideline is like despondent because they're like, "There's no way he caught that ball." And Marvin's like, yeah. "I absolutely caught that ball because I was doing this intentionally the entire time." And then it's it, like, "Okay, what's next? What's the next play call?" I, I'm comparing those two moments. So the, CJ had that uh, he, the escape out of the pocket where he thought he picked up the 44-yard run and he got eight instead where he stepped mm. out of bounds. And all of the Indiana sideline is staring there, pointing at the ground right where he, where he stepped out. And you can see as Marvin's making that catch, they're all trying to wait to point to be like, aha, he didn't do it. But then like they all went, like, I don't know what you can do. I don't know what you can do. I, I don't know how you stop him at this point. Um, and as Ohio State finds a way to get more out of the rest of its receivers, and now you add in Xavier Johnson, who played a great game on Saturday, and really is a pretty special weapon for Ohio State yeah. if, they, if they use him the way they did on Saturday. I thought it was really good timing by Ryan Day to, to show what Xavier can do in that role. Um, one of my biggest concerns with the offense right now is that maybe there's a, a little lack of confidence with the rest of the receivers all of a sudden. And I don't know why Julian Fleming seems to be uh, having some issues uh, seeing or catching the ball. Um, Cade Stover had a good game on Saturday, but he, you know, had another couple plays where like early in the year he made plays uh, and, and there was one, where CJ was rolling out and he had to throw it back across his body and it was a little off and Cade doesn't hold on to it. Emeka has one that CJ's a little off and can't and he couldn't dive and catch it early in the year. I felt like they made those catches and I don't know if that's just the law of averages. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong on those catches. Julian yeah. obviously just dropped the ball that should have been a touchdown, but um, it, it's just 
I, I wonder how, like, does Marvin have to come back to the mean at some point? Does he have to revert to the mean <laughs> or is he just outside of the, the realm of science? He, he might be outside of that. Um, I think, I think you're right. Maybe those guys would make those plays or have made those plays. And, and I guess you probably can't expect to make them all the time. I thought that the one that was like behind Cade <clears throat> on, I believe it was a third down play when CJ was scrambling something else on that play stood out to me and it was they wanted that ball to go to Marvin and CJ was locked in on Marvin and actually Desan McCullough did a good job of kind of like he basically just like tackled Marvin <laughs> but they didn't yeah. call pass interference hey, um if he doesn't get called it's a good play that's right but Kate Stover was like wide open down the seam and CJ never even looked at him um and and that would have been an easy first down on I think third and two and instead it turned into a broken play and an incompletion that that worries me a little bit. I think more so than anything else going on with the other receivers is like CJ, while Marvin is tremendous, I don't. I think CJ has to be careful to not get too locked in on him when teams are cl- clearly selling out against him. On, on Omeka's touchdown, the first touchdown of the game, um, Indiana bracketed Marvin. They, they put two guys on him to the far side of the field and then had uh, four other defenders cover three other receivers, and, and Omeka was wide open in the end zone. Um, I think Ohio State and CJ and, and maybe Ryan Day somehow too need to be – intentional about working off of Marvin sometimes clearly like, you know, go, he's, he's a big, big down player. Go to him. Obviously I'm not saying don't go to him, but uh, I think you can use the attention that he's now getting to your advantage as well. And, and and I think maybe they need to be a little careful about not trying to force the ball his way too much. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Bill, because one of my trusty notes here says CJ trusting Marvin a lot, almost led to two bad interceptions. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's, he's at times just, getting used to the fact that Marvin is doing all these things and just throwing balls that he should not throw to him. And it's, it's worked out. He, he got away with it. Um, but you know, you just got to be careful. Uh, he threw the one that was just a deep shot down the seam to Marvin. And there was two, a safety and a corner just waiting and the corner mm-hmm. should have intercepted it. Marvin knocked it away from him. But like you just, to your point, like you have to, be very cognizant of the fact that Emeka Abuka is really good. Uh, and if, you know, Ohio State early in the year did a really great job of getting him the ball in different ways and showing him as, as, the, as the primary pass catcher. And I, I, I worry that maybe there's too much attention being paid to Marvin um, from CJ because he's such a, a security blanket. So uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I and mean, it's not – I don't know that I'm overly concerned about it. It just kind of stood out to me a little bit. But I also give CJ credit. So, like, if I say he got locked on the Marvin and didn't hit Cade on, on the seam down the middle on that play, I think the next drive that came back and almost ran the exact same concept and CJ, like, threw an incredible ball down the seam to, to Cade Stover for, like, a 30-yard gain on third down. So um, I think CJ, like, picks up on that stuff throughout the game too. So he's smart. He'll figure it out. Yeah, and it's something we've actually talked about on this show before. CJ doesn't generally make the same mistake twice, mm. uh, you know. And what I like the most about him is that he doesn't care if he makes a, a bad throw. In this very game, like the throw you're talking about to Stover or down the seam for 30 yards, like the play before he had Marvin on the sideline and overshot him and missed him, and then the next play just right back down the seam and put it right where it had to be—a perfect throw. So, uh, it. It's always encouraging to watch the way CJ handles slowness in his game. Like if he struggles to start, he he comes back. I mean, you look at this game, I think he was like 10 of 18 at one point for 150 yards or something and midway through the second quarter. Finishes for with 297, five touchdowns. Like it's 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 so workman workmanlike mm-hmm. and almost boring that it seems like he's having a bad day, but like he's not. It's just the expectation is is so high because of what he did, um, you know, at the end of last year. So I, I don't think that that uh, I don't think he's playing particularly clean right now. He's not throwing the ball quite as accurately as he has at times. But I also do believe that he realizes his receivers can do things that other guys can't. And so why not try some? Why not try to put it in other spots? Because the average quarterback throwing to average receivers has to be much more specific with that window of where you're throwing it. He he likes to put it out in spots where at least no one else is going to catch it if his guy does it. Yeah, I like. I would much rather have CJ be aggressive than not, and and you know trust his guys to make plays than not, and 
if the byproduct of, of that is that he completes uh, 68% of his passes instead of 71% of his passes, I think, I think I'm okay with that. It does. It is odd. Like he's so good that every time he has a game where that completion percentage starts with six, you're like, what's wrong? But yeah. he's like, that's normal <laughs> for any other quarterback. So um, I, yeah, he's, he's got, I, I thought this was a nice kind of, kind of bounce back return to normalcy a little bit for, for CJ in the passing attack. And I, I'm not going to say that weather is an issue at all. Okay. But, it is hard to throw a football when your hands are frozen. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really cold on Saturday. Cold. And the ball yeah. was a rock and the field was wet and the ball gets wet. Um, I don't think that that's the reason. I mean, I, I don't think the ball being wet is why maybe you're seeing him be a little inconsistent with his accuracy. But I do think if the fact that your hands, I mean, there were times in the second half of that game, I couldn't feel my fingers at all. I'd like go back into the media workroom and take my gloves off and like, you know, try to get myself uh some feeling back in my finger so it, it was pretty cold um but that's november in, in ohio so you just better deal with it and you know the way you deal with it primarily for ohio state is by making sure that you have him protected which the buckeyes offensive line did a great job with that uh, a couple times you see him you know start to scramble and run around a little bit but i think they kind of like that i think he likes it i like it the, his uh awareness on the one where he thought he had the long run well, I thought he was going to get smoked on that play. <laughs> I was yeah. I was fearful for, for what was about to happen to him, but he it seemed to me like he felt that the entire time and almost baited that defender into that before escaping out to to the left there. Um he his his I think you said it after the game his his awareness in the open spaces can leave something to be desired at times. Um but I do think his playmaking ability is a little understated and he's probably a better athlete than people give him credit for. Yeah, it just doesn't look like let I just implore people out there to pull up the tape of Justin Fields against the Detroit Lions on Sunday and watching the way he looks when he runs the ball and looking at the way CJ Stroud, maybe (laughs) CJ's a a little more upright. Maybe he doesn't look quite as uh, fluid uh, or or as, you know, natural doing it, but he certainly is not slow. And, And I thought what was really interesting to me is that because Ohio State showed that they were willing to let him get out and do some things in the running game a week ago, Indiana was very ready for that uh, Saturday. Yeah. Like they were not surprised when it happened. So, um, uh, you know, we talked about that in Evanston. Like, even if it doesn't work all the time, just knowing that it's something that they have to prepare for means that you can't just sell out every single time and and you know forget about it. So it does even things up a little bit. Anyway, what are your yeah, other thoughts on the offense? <clears throat> well, well, that I, I think I think some of those inside zone runs felt a little cleaner, and maybe it, that is because that extra guy is hesitating just the slightest bit because CJ has shown a willingness to do that. Um, it's even like I, some, a couple of the runs he pulled on where it was like he got one yard or no yard. It's like, I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but I think they do serve a purpose to the greater good. So I'm not going to get hung up on it too much because it did, it did feel like it helped the overall rushing operation. Um, so I thought that was good. Um, I really have liked the last two weeks that they've done more play action out of the pistol. Um, it didn't work great last week because of, of the wind mostly, but I thought it looked worked uh, really good. And in this game, the long touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr. was one. Um, the one of the play action passes that Kate Stover, I believe, was was out of the pistol. And um, you know, I don't think they need to do it every time, but I think they need to be to be able to mix that in just to kind of protect themselves a little bit to, to catch defenses flat footed. Um, and it's been nice to see that get incorporated back into the mix these last two weeks after it kind of disappeared for a little bit yeah i didn't i i don't know if i'm correct in the way i saw this or not but cade's first touchdown it looked like the the linebacker who was covering him let him go because i think he believed cj was going to bootleg out and try to yeah. scramble in himself uh and left cade wide open i mean you know the, the buckeyes tried to run cj out on the bootleg on their first touchdown drive of the game and they got stuffed. So I wonder if later in the game that linebacker thought it was going to be the same play and he let Cade just completely go um, because there was no other explanation to just not cover him at all. But he started with him and then CJ turned and he all of a sudden let him go. And I think that was a guy just trying to to cheat a little bit on the play. So mm-hmm. um, freshman who stood out, we did get a chance to see some guys in the second half other than Down Hayden. Um I there were a couple reps I watched of George Fitzpatrick a right tackle that I really liked um in the second half and that was good to see I thought that actually you know down Hayden 
for the first time all year with, with Kyle McCord in the game, the offensive line was still getting a push on the running game, which mm-hmm. was nice to see the backup uh, group that was out there. Uh, Jacob James playing very well, Tegra Shibola and, and uh, like I said, George Fitzpatrick out there. So Ben Chrisman, like it was encouraging to see those guys out there and actually still getting a push. So most of the time when we've seen Kyle McCord in the game, the offensive line has looked a little bit like they didn't know what they were doing and they did not look quite as clueless and, and down Hayden's, Oh, yards per carry didn't go down once the fourth quarter hit. So that was good to see. Yeah, it was at times when that group's out there, it's just kind of like a jumbled mess in the middle of the field, I think, sometimes. Um, so that was good to see. I was actually double-checking. I didn't. Did, so t- did Tegra play? I thought Tegra was out there on the same time as Fitzpatrick, but maybe he wasn't. Who, who <clears> was I have to go back and look. Who was the right guard out there? I I I'll, I don't know. Check I, I didn't watch. A, I, didn't, maybe, I didn't. That's uh, me just assuming that because he's always been out there, but maybe he's hit his four games. I don't know. Well, that's the reason I asked because he is at four, and I wondered like it'd be interesting if they burned his Richard, but I don't know. I actually don't know if he played or not. I have to go back and look at it, but um, I know. Regardless, I, like yeah, I was keying on Fitzpatrick, and, and I'm not. But Crispin was out there, so maybe it wasn't uh, Tegra. I'm looking at PFF now, and they have yeah, it looks like it was Crispin. Crispin and Fitzpatrick each played nine snaps. Okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, they don't want to burn Tiger's richer because he's he you know he might start next year. It's possible. <laughs> it is possible. He played well when he's gotten the chance. But uh, McCord looked calmer. Does that make sense? He he looked more like in control. He didn't yeah. seem quite as like flummoxed. Accepting of his fate, I think. Is how yeah, I maybe. I mean, him. maybe, maybe. But he made the nice little rollout throw to Joe Royer for a first down on the on the third and two, and hit the, again to to Jaden Ballard for a twenty three yarder. Those two, I think, probably really are just waiting for a moment to be like, "Hey, let us try this for for real." Um, because Ballard they seem to have a nice do, connection. Those two, yeah. yeah. Ballard keeps doing everything that he's asked, and and eventually he's going to have a big moment for Ohio State when it matters, and maybe it's. Not this year, but like he is definitely talented enough to be in the conversation as that when in that next group of wide receivers. So as we head into like next season, don't forget about him, even though Marvin and Emeka and Julian are all back because Jaden is going to be a, a big time player. I wonder if they might let him return punts like for real. You know point. who should return punts? I have an idea. Cameron Martinez. I'd love to see punts. it. I'd love to see it. I mean, America, listen, we got to talk about this punt return shenanigans at Ohio State. I don't know what's going on. I realize that returning a punt is probably one of the more difficult things in sports to do, and people don't really think about it. You have 11 people sprinting as fast as they can at you, screaming the whole time. The ball's moving all around. You're running, trying to catch it. It is a hard thing to do. So I understand that it's not like I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but how many times can Ohio State drop a punt? <laughs> like, <laughs> three times it happened on Saturday. Uh, like, what's the deal? And, and here's the thing. Cam Cam got a shot to return a punt one time earlier this year, and it, the ball hit one of his player his teammates, and the Buckeyes lost the, the position. So I understand the, the track record isn't ideal, and he admitted <laughs> that it was his fault that he didn't tell the guy to get out of the way. But, like, can't be worse, right? Can't be worse. Could should they just not put anybody back there? Just let well, that's it hit the what, ground and see what happens. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're not actually, I mean, Emeka Abuka wants to return the ball. He wants to catch it and run, and I appreciate that about him. But like when you see Emeka take hits like he did on Saturday, where Julie or, or CJ throws the ball to him and, and he gets molly walloped by two people at one time, mm-hmm. like that. I don't want. Mecca back there returning punts. I don't think it's Neither good for I. his health. Um, I I was stunned that they sent anyone back to return punts against Northwestern. It did not make sense to me. It, no matter which, <laughs> either direction that the ball was being kicked, one way it's only going to go 25 yards, it doesn't matter. The other way it's going to go 70, so who cares? Like, just don't send anyone back. I just don't know what the point is. And because no one's catching the football. And if you're not catching the football, Maybe you should just not put anyone back there. I find myself very nervous for them every time every that time. ball is in the air on a punt. Um, and I like with the collection of skill players that they have, I should not be feeling that way. But they've not figured it out for some reason. 
No, and the fact is, Indiana's punter after the first quarter of this game should have probably had to give back a scholarship check. (laughs) He was very, very underwhelming. The guy was not very good. uh, And Ohio State was like, oh, three times they tried to give it back to him. Three times. Think about how much different this game could have been if Ohio State recovers none of those those balls and they only get one. I mean, you just don't know. You just got to be careful back there. I think my overwhelming thought from this game is that, like that Indiana is very lucky it didn't lose like eighty to seven. Sure, without question, Ohio State should have put up a lot more than they did. And uh, I think if Mayan Williams would have been out there for the, you know, it was twenty eight to seven with nine minutes to go in the second quarter, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. So Ohio State didn't score again in this in the first half. So that was a bit of a shock. But then you look at the the statistics, and they still had almost four hundred yards. You know, how did they only score twenty eight points? How do you how do you only score twenty eight points when you have almost four hundred yards in the first half? Uh, partly because when it's fourth and one, you hand the ball to Mitch Rousey. Hmm. There were ten guys in the box for Indiana on that play. Yeah, they just gotta they get a lineup in an eleven personnel with one tight end and spread them out and then just throw the ball or run it out of that formation or run it out of that formation. But don't, Ohio State is doing itself no favors by putting. Uh, three tight ends and an extra offensive lineman on the field, condensing the formation and dictating what they're going to do, which yeah. is try to run the ball down the middle up someone's throat when they're just not built that way. And it's okay that they're not built that way, but don't try to be something you're not. And and maybe yeah. we've reached that. Maybe we've reached that point and they'll stop trying to do it. Um, Ryan day did say he's being perhaps a bit stubborn uh, in, in response to a question that Austin asked him. I tend to agree with that. Um, they can throw the ball. They should just throw the ball. Yeah. Just throw it. Just throw it. That's what they'll do this Saturday at Maryland. Um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about before then, though. We'll begin that at Roosters on Olentangy River Road in Columbus on Monday, as per usual, at 1130. Myself, Bill, Austin, Bobby Carpenter, Justin Zwick, Nicole Cox will all be there. We'll just be hanging out. You can join us if you want. Otherwise, the podcast daily will be here all week. We'll have Buckeye Cues. We'll have live press conference on Tuesday. We'll have a lot more. So, uh, Bill, anything else for you on this beautiful Monday? Nope. Looking forward to a a fantastic trip to College Park, Maryland this week. Can't wait. Uh, That will do it for this episode of the Podcast Daily. It is Monday, November 14th. We appreciate you watching and listening. We'll talk to you later.